only going to focus on Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 and 8. This morning we're still busy with the book of Genesis, still doing the series in Genesis, and we're going to read verses 7 and 8 today. We're just going to focus on those two verses here, but there's quite a bit that we're going to, going to get through there. Let's read from verse 7 there. The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he formed. So far may God bless the reading of his precious word. And the the message for this morning is the master's touch. You probably will see it on the screen there, the master's touch. And we're going to think of the Lord and what he has come to do for each one of us here today. But let me start by saying there is nothing more worthless than a handful of dirt. Yet God used the dust of the earth to make mankind which is a little lower than himself, and crowned him with glory and honor. Now David says in Psalm 8, Psalm chapter 8, I think, I don't know which verse it is, where he says, what is man? He asks the question, what is man that you are mindful of him? And the son of man that you, you think of him. And then he goes further, you made him a little lower and the, the words they use there are, they, you made him a little lower than angels, but the, the Hebrew word there is not angels. I don't know if you realize this. The Hebrew word there is Elohim. So what David is saying there is, you made man a little lower than God. I'm not preaching heresy, it's right there in the Bible. <laughs> you made him a little lower than God. And this is what David acknowledged, that man was made a little lower than God. And it makes sense when you think about it, because with man there is grace, there is mercy, there is forgiveness coming from the Lord. When any angel sins, what happens? They're thrown, they cast out of heaven, heaven immediately, there's no grace. No mercy, no forgiveness. And uh, that's, uh, that's why we need to realize that we've been crowned with glory and honor. God is able to take a human being and make him or her whatever pleases him. Sometimes you will hear a person described as a self-made man or woman. When they describe someone that way, they mean that this person didn't begin life with a fortune, perhaps, that they worked their way up the ladder to where they are today. But in reality, this expression is a poor one. There is really no such thing as a self-made man or woman. Scripture tells us that God gave every one of us every ability that we have. Thus, we owe everything we have and everything we are to him. We should be reminded of that every time we read about the creation story. Here in chapters 2, we find a retelling. There's now a retelling of God's creation of man. And and God uses, uh, in fact, the Bible uses about Only three verbs, and that is what we're going to focus on here briefly this morning. 
First of all, the first verb that is used there, he forms us. The word form. He forms us. Verse 7. The Lord God formed the man. The Hebrew word for formed is the same word used of a potter skillfully shaping a pot or some pottery and so forth. The Bible says that that is what God has done for you and I. He shaped us. Psalm 139 verse 13 says, For you formed my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. God carefully designed us according to his plan for us before we were even born. Before we could ever even think of breathing, he was there ready to form and shape our lives. You are not the way you are by accident. God formed you. And you can almost say that God formed me. God formed you the way the potter shapes pottery or pot. He knits you together in your mother's womb. That means that he has purposes for you. And that is why he made you the way you are. He chose your gender. He gave you certain strengths and weaknesses. You should thank the Lord this morning for every way in which he has created you. You should give him glory and use what he has blessed you with to honor him today but you know when I think of God forming us God did something very special when he made the first man he seems to have been far more personal and intimate in his work of creating man than he was in, in his other works of creation he was personal you may know that the Hebrew word for man or humankind is the word Adam, not Adam. They would say Adam in Hebrew, Adam. But that you know that the Hebrew word used for ground is the word Adama. That's, that is why you can't say Adama, but you can't say Adama, right? Adama. Literally then God reached down as it were and personally formed Adam from Adama. You get a sense of something very unique in God's personal involvement in the creation of humankind. We have been called the crown of creation. When God looks at our lives, he doesn't just see what we are. He also sees what we can be. We are his masterpiece. An icon in the making. He sees us as valuable and beautiful this morning. He's always seen us this way. And he's always carving and shaping us to bring out the best in us. This must not be forgotten during the painful chiseling processes that we experience from time to time. Isn't it true? We do. <laughs> No matter 
No matter where we are spiritually, there are some painful processes that we always do experience. I want to say this again. We are not an accident. Accidents happen, yes. But you and I didn't just happen. We were purposed. We were created. We each are a dream come true. Isn't that wonderful? You're a dream come true this morning. Look at yourself and, and, and think about yourself and say, hey, my goodness, I'm a masterpiece. I'm a dream come true. God's dream come true. God has a specific job he wants each person to do. And he creates each one specifically to do that job. Now Ephesians 2 verse 10, and I'm using the amplified version here, it says there, for we are God's own handiwork. Other version says we are God's workmanship. We are God's own handiwork, recreated in Christ Jesus, that we may be, may, rather that we may do those good works which God, be, God planned beforehand for us. And then I, what I love here about what the Amplified Version says, taking us on paths which he prepared ahead of time. He takes us there. And it goes further, that we should walk in them, living the life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. Isn't that wonderful? Our God has prearranged everything for each one of us. Because we are his masterpieces. Because we are so special to him. And because we are his handiwork this morning. He's constantly busy shaping us and, and making us. And molding us into what he desires for us. But then secondly here this morning. That was he formed us. He formed you. Formed your life. He's still busy forming you and shaping you. But the second verb there is he breathes into us. And we're going to spend a little time here with this because there's two aspects of breathing that we need to focus on here this morning. Firstly, he breathed into his nostrils, the Bible says, the breath of life. As we saw in the first point, you and I are merely dust formed by God into something infinitely more special than we could ever imagine. And when God formed the man, this passage says, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now imagine the excitement on, on day six. Imagine the anticipation on day six. God has formed the very first man, but he lies there lifeless. The outer shell is formed. The body is made. But there is eyes, or there are eyes, or should we say there is eyes without sight, ears without hearing, lungs without air, heart without a beat. God's creation jewel. The exclamation point of his work formed, but not breathing. 
Can you imagine that? Formed, but not breathing. And then God does, I won't say an unorthodox thing. He goes and, you know, and, 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 and he goes over man and he begins to breathe into his nostrils. I want you to imagine this body lying there and God goes over. It's almost like what we do with resuscitation, but God goes and God breathes into man. Breathes into man. Breathes into man. And suddenly, the eyes begin to twitch. Hey? <laughs> suddenly, the heart begins to beat. Suddenly, suddenly there's movement and man becomes alive. Man becomes a living soul. Oh, wonderful. Don't you think so? Living soul. Suddenly, there's a huge difference. See, God, without God, we are as dead and lifeless as dust. It is he who breathes into us the breath of life. If the breath of life is found in you today, that is God's blessing. You are breathing today. You should be grateful that you are breathing. There are many who are not breathing today. Bible tells us that the only reason that any of us are breathing today is because God has breathed into us the breath of life. God breathed into this first man and gave him life. And he does the same for every living creature. Now Psalm 104 verse 29 to 30. I'm just paraphrasing here. But... Uh, and I'm not going to quote the whole psalm, but it says God, God, about God's creation. You sent forth your spirit, literally his breath, ruach, the ruach of God, the breath of God, spirit of God. You, you sent forth your spirit and they are created. You take away their spirit, literally again breath, and they expire. They die, in other words, and return to the dust. Bible tells us that it is God who gives and takes away breath from every living creature. So if we are breathing today, we should thank God. I say it again for it. He has given us that breath of life. And you know, this adds a special slant to Psalm 150 verse 6. You don't know that verse. That everything that has breath, praise the Lord. When last have you who have breath, praise the Lord. When last have you just come before him and said to him, Lord, I'm so grateful for giving me life, for giving me the ability to breathe and breathe freely, inhale and exhale all the time. Thank you, Lord. When last did you do that? It's God's breath. That makes us alive physically. But what I want to touch on now is another important aspect as far as we as Christians are concerned. And it is the breath of God's spirit that makes us alive spiritually. It's not only his breath that makes us alive physically, but it's his, his spirit that makes us alive spiritually. 
as well. This is true for us as individuals. Once we have the salvation experience in the Lord, once the Lord has totally transformed our lives, once we've, we are no longer part of the kingdom of darkness and we belong to the kingdom of God, of light, and we have the salvation experience and our lives are renewed and changed, we have God's spirit living inside of us. Isn't that amazing? Some version speaks about dwelling inside of us. God has breathed his spirit into your life. If you do not have God's spirit in your life, then you are still spiritually dead. Did you hear that? spiritually dead. Romans 8 verse 9 says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. You can walk to the front of a church. You can fill out a card. You can be baptized. You can go to church services and be committed. But if the spirit of God does not breathe his life into you, you are still spiritually dead. Dead, dead, dead. You must have the breath of God's spirit in your life to live spiritually. Did you ever think that Genesis would already speak about the Holy Spirit? Hey? I want to say this to us here this morning, brothers and sisters. The Holy Spirit takes center stage in my life when I am God's child. Holy Spirit takes center stage in my life. Suddenly now, the, with the Holy Spirit living inside of me, the Holy Spirit begins to teach me from within. In other words, the Holy Spirit becomes my divine tutor. The Holy Spirit becomes my heavenly instructor, teaching me things that I've never known before. Teaching me truths that I've never seen before. Teaching me new things that I need. As I go along in my Christian walk, the Holy Spirit needs to take center stage in my life. But it does not only teach me according to John 14 verse 26. But it goes further in that, the last part probably of that verse 26. He does not only teach me, but he reminds me. I love that about the Holy Spirit's involvement in my life. Every day, the Holy Spirit brings to remembrance something. Something I should do. Something important that I've got to look at. That I should give attention to. It's the Holy Spirit. That is why the Holy Spirit needs to take center stage in my life. The Holy Spirit will remind me of things that, I've, that I should have done that I didn't do. The Holy Spirit will remind me to go back and, and, and do whatever I have to do. I love that about the Holy Spirit in my life. And it's from within. Because the Holy Spirit is living in me. Can you imagine this? The Holy Spirit living in a human personality. In a human being. Holy Spirit. 
How we need the touch of the Holy Spirit in our lives. How we need the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that guides us as well. In, in, according to uh, John chapter 16 verse 13, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. I need the guidance of the Holy Spirit in my life daily. I need to be led by the Holy Spirit daily. I need to be in step with the Holy Spirit daily. Holy Spirit. When last have you encountered the Holy Spirit in your life, child of God? When last have you enjoyed the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life? It's the Holy Spirit that empowers me to do and accomplish things that I could never accomplish on my own. Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit in my life. That's the exciting part of the Christian life. Every battle I fight, I don't fight it alone. The Holy Spirit as my advocate will fight my battles for me. When I need strength, the Holy Spirit as my comforter would come alongside me to strengthen me and to touch me. When last have you encountered the working of the Holy Spirit in your life? You see, we must have the breath of God's Spirit to be alive and powerful spiritually. We can be well organized have all kinds of human efforts, but we must have the power of God's breath, God's spirit, to accomplish anything powerful and lasting. It's not by might, it's not by power, the word of God says, but by my spirit. There is no substitute for it, brothers and sisters, no substitute for the Holy Spirit at work in a Christian's life. No substitute. Believe me. Talking from experience here. No substitute. My prayer is that God will do something here among us this morning that can only be explained by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, brothers and sisters, God can do more in five seconds that will take you and I a lifetime. In five seconds. He can do more. It makes all the difference when God is in something. That is why we need to make seeking him and his blessing and his spirit our greatest priority. Maybe you need a breath of fresh air this morning. In your personal life. Or in your family. In, or in some particular area of your life. Ask God today to breathe his breath of life into that area of your life. It will make a difference. Believe me. And then finally here this morning, he places us. Verse 8. There he placed the man in the midst of the garden. There he placed the man. There he put the man, some versions would say. This is the third action that God performed on behalf of the, ma the man. He formed him, 
he breathed into him the breath of life. Now we see that he placed him in the garden that he prepared for him. This was no random placement, believe me. God prepared the man, as we have seen. God prepared the place. Verse 8 says he, he planted a garden toward the east in Eden. And then it says God placed the man exactly where he wanted him in that garden. And God does the same thing with all of his people. First Peter 1, if you read First Peter 1, it, it opens by addressing itself uh, to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus. You can read there. Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. The word scattered there is not a negative word. Whenever we think of the word scattered, we think negatively. But the Greek word therefore scattered is, it means to be strategically placed. Did you hear that? To be strategically placed. Those early Christians were not randomly scattered around the world. They have been strategically placed where they were by God. They were where they were for a reason. God wanted to use them in those specific places to spread the news of the kingdom. And just like God placed Adam right where he wanted him in the garden and placed those early believers exactly the, in the right place in order to serve him. You need to realize this morning, my brothers and sisters, that God has placed you right where he wants you to be. Why are you where you are right now? Why are you in this country? Why are you in this town of Utenek? The city of Port Elizabeth. This job. This church. This family. This life situation right now. God has placed you there for his purposes. He's placed you there for his purposes. And I'm almost through. Just want to mention two people and then we will, we will, we will close. The Lord used Joseph's circumstances to save his family and to save a nation. Can you remember Joseph? When his brothers mistreated him. He was mistreated by his brothers, rejected by his brothers, thrown into, into a pit. And he thought, well, this is the end of it all. But then, of course, we know from the pit he went to another place and when he was there he found himself falsely accused and he found him and, and, and there he was in this prison falsely con uh, accused but even there God had a purpose God had, I want to say this here this morning the Lord used Joseph's circumstances to save his family but God placed Joseph where he was for a reason. Even though it was uncomfortable and painful for a time, he was exactly where God wanted him to be. 
And the same thing is true of another young lady in the Bible. In fact, the, there was a book written about her. And a, it's a lady called, in the Old Testament called Ruth. Can you remember Ruth? I don't know if you've ever read the book of Ruth. But uh, Ruth married a foreigner. And she was a young lady and she married this foreign man in a foreign country. But then he died and she, she had nowhere to go. So she lived with her mother-in-law of all things. Her mother-in-law, she lived with. They had no money, so she got by day by day, just by going out and doing whatever jobs she could do. But while she was busy doing whatever she could do, gleaning in the fields of Boaz, he saw this young, beautiful, attractive lady. And whenever he spoke to the, his workers, he said, add more. To, to, to her gleaning as she gleans yeah, add more to her you know the amount of what she's doing just add more to that and, and I think of the Lord when he sees us he adds more blessings every day isn't it true more and more blessings he just blesses us and that's what happened eventually she got married to this man called Boaz and if you read in the book of Ruth, you, you would read that Bo, Boaz, from, of Boaz was born. They don't say Ruth, but of Boaz was, was born Obed, and to Obed was born Jesse, and to Jesse, David the king. It turned out that with all the hardships that Ruth went through, as bad as they seemed at the time, God placed her exactly where he wanted her so that he could produce David, the king, through her circumstances and then through him, the son of David, Jesus Christ, our savior. Think of what the Lord has produced through you thus far because of where he has placed you. He never makes mistakes. Amen.